Hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. This podcast today is so apropos to the times in which we're living right now as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. But we need to understand that the birth of Christ happened uh, during a time of incredible darkness that was over planet Earth. In fact, the Bible prophesies that a light would shine, a great light would come into the great darkness. That great darkness was the demonic deception that gripped planet Earth prior to the arrival of Jesus. We're going to talk about the, the nature of supernatural deception. We're going to talk about principalities and powers that have been around for a long time. They come by different names, different cultures, but it's the same demonic stronghold and hierarchy that's been present since the beginning. Uh, and we're going to talk about how a, an entire nation uh, can fall under the deception of demonic spirits as we're seeing happening right now in America and in the West on a variety of fronts. So this is going to be a very, very insightful podcast. We hope you'll join us. Our job, again, is to equip you with the resources that we need to know how to fight the battles that are in front of us. And uh, I believe today is going to be very, very helpful uh, in that fight. So please join us on the podcast today. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Hey, a big Merry Christmas for Pastor Andrew and myself. It is that time of the year, and uh, uh, there's one little phrase in the gospel account that I absolutely love, uh, where it talks about Christmas and talks about Jesus and talks about the gospel as being the good news of great joy for all peoples. That That is such a concise little uh, you know summary of the gospel, good news. Of great joy, of course, the, the good news of Jesus Christ brings joy to the world, and we sing about that. But I love it too; it's for everybody, and um, and that's why this year, so this time of year, so such a special reminder um, that the joy of the kingdom of God is not to be kept just to a few of us. Uh, God's intent was that. It would be good news for everyone. Uh, everybody gets to get in on the joy. And uh, so this coming Friday night, we, we're doing something that I've this become a, a, a faithful tradition here at Living Stones and a fun tradition for all of us, and that's our candle lighting service. Uh, we finally mastered it to the point where it does not take months of cleaning wax off of our black chairs in the yeah. sanctuary. <laughs> no one's getting caught no, on fire. No we're, fire marshal in the back. No fire marshal. <laughs> uh, so we're going we're gonna to light up the sanctuary on yeah. Friday night, but, but even more important, obviously, than just the ritual is what, what it stands for. Uh, Jesus, the light of the world. And uh, just going to be a great night of, of worshiping Jesus. Um, and I'm really excited because uh, we've been you know, talking in a series here at Living Stones called Overcomer. I encourage anybody that's watching to uh, go back and if you got some time and you want to listen to just some great truth from God's Word, we've been encouraging people on what it means to prevail in perilous times. Uh, and certainly, you know, we're, we're in times that, where things are being shaken. And we're, in fact, that's what we're talking about in our podcast today, uh, kind of the, the global condition. And, uh, and I love the fact that it was an incredible, uh, the Bible talks about deep darkness, uh, that Jesus Christ, the promise of hope came, and Jesus Christ, of course, being the light that came into a very, very dark world. Yeah. Uh, so that will be at 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock on Friday, and then we'll be having our normal uh, Christmas, uh, for Christmas at least on that Sunday, uh, which will be Christmas Eve, uh, we're going to have our normal worship times, 8 o'clock, 
10 o'clock, 11.45. And I think we're going to talk about uh, traditions a little bit later. We're going to talk about probably some dark traditions. Yeah. And, and in other words, traditions is really a way for um, a cultural battle. Yeah. A cultural battle manifests itself in different traditions. Yeah. So things, you, things that are ritualized in our culture are indicators. They point to, to really our religion, things that we worship, things that we, we worship, value, no, things that we celebrate. What we value, what we worship, and who we worship. And I think even this candlelight service is not just a fun thing we do. It's, it's really a, a statement we're making to say, hey, ingrained in our tradition, ingrained in our heritage is a worship of Christ as light of the world. Yeah, these are those multi-generational um, you know, celebrations that, that pass from one generation to the next. What we say is important, what we honor, what we value, and who we worship. Uh, and like you say, that can work either for good or it can work for evil. Well, I, I just think we need to have a eye for that to recognize uh, what we do. So, so you know, I, I'm big on discipline being the the the, the factor that shapes your your uh, your your trajectory of your life, right? right. So, you have a right. discipline of getting up, uh, a habit of getting up early. It's going to shape your life one way. If you have a habit of being on social media for three hours a day, that's going to shape your life in a different way, right? So the same thing for nations and cultures and tradition right. and community. What are the discipline or the habits or, or what we call the, the, the institutional things we institutionalize for yep. our community will shape our trajectory of our nation? Yep. And, that, and so you, we're, we're laying down some great track here for where we're headed today, but do a little backtracking, if you would, yeah. and introduce the, the book. You know, Pastor Andrew and I love to uh, take content that's already created and then do our little spin on it and kind of yeah. d- jump off on it. It helps us just with, uh, with time and planning and so forth. Uh, we're in a brand new book. Tell us about it. Yeah, The Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn. Con. Um, this is a little different book from the other kind of worldview books we have talked about, but it's definitely talking about worldview. It, Absolutely. It's peering to basically how, what shapes worldview through a very spiritual perspective. Yep. Um, the, the idea basically is that um, these gods that were worshipped in you know, thousands of years ago hasn't been complete. They're, first of all, they're not fake. They represent yep. demonic spirits. Well, we we highlighted last last week in our podcast kind of the different dimensions because, as you said, when you think about worldview, you're thinking generally about um, ideas, propositions, uh, philosophical um, presuppositions, and it kind of falls into the Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse four and five. You know, the weapons of our warfare warfare are not physical weapons. Um, we are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that exalts itself against the true knowledge of Christ. Th- that's kind of very worldviewish, right? We're, we uh, we get that we're attacking arguments. We're we've we've said on this podcast before we we love all people, but we hate bad arguments. We hate bad evil philosophies that are anti-Christ because they destroy people. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the the one side of the worldview argument. But as you just pointed out. This is a little different approach because really what we're what we're recognizing is behind those bad ideas there is a source and that source is supernatural and we've highlighted this before you know there's really only if you take an idea all the way back to its 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 source there's only two options that that idea either came from god or that idea was twisted and perverted by satan 
Um, and so really that, that <laughs> take every idea, whatever philosophy, whatever uh, ideology, take it back to its roots, and you're going to find that it's going to come from one of those two sources. It's either truth that's been, that is true and is supported by Scripture, or it's truth that has been twisted and perverted by Satan. And so that comes back into Ephesians chapter 6, which we brought up last week. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly supernatural places. So we're taking a worldview, and I think we're digging down to the deepest level possible because we're saying, wait a minute, how is it that certain ideas seem to catch on like wildfire uh, and, uh, and seem to grab a hold of entire, not just individuals, but entire nations and that, and that was kind of where we left off last week, that we have seen ideologies sweep over America and, and the West in general that have come at such a blitzkrieg fashion, like so rapid, lightning strikes, that you go, wait a minute, what America are we living in? Because things have so radically shifted. Uh, and we're not even talking about like in the last 100 years or even the last 50 years. Just think about the radical uh, shifts that have taken place in the last decade uh, in our lifetime. Certainly, you could look back and go, wow, look at, look at how far we've fallen um, uh, from our Judeo-Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And so we're asking the question that I think many people are asking, and I think Jonathan Kahn has done a great job of, of, of helping to provide some perspective and some answers. But the question is, how did we get here? Uh, where there's such gross darkness and wickedness and evil, and uh, and how do we recover? You know, is there a recovery? And I think a lot of people, as we've talked about, fall into a fatalism. Right? Uh, things are just too dark, too bad. We're living in the uh, the last days. These are the end times. There's no America has no hope of recovery. Blah 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 blah. Which doesn't isn't really very comforting or helpful or provide much hope or perspective. Or you go okay. We haven't always been here. Uh, we've, we've been through dark ages in the past, and, and we've come out of it. So what's the approach that we take? And I think part of the reason why we've selected this book is because we need a template. We, we need a game plan. We need a, a, a plan of attack. And I think Jonathan Kahn helps us with that. So we'll find out, yeah. We will find out. So last week we just started off by saying that the gods have returned. Uh, that was his opening volley, uh, the gods have returned. Um, and his point was simply this, you know, when Jesus Christ came into this world, it was an incredibly, incredibly dark place. It was not like there were a few isolated nations who worshipped, you know, uh, mythological gods or the gods of their area or whatever, the world was enveloped in darkness. And every ancient civilization you could go to, you'd basically find the god that those people worshipped or multiple gods that they worshipped. And they might have a different name, but it was basically the same spirit as you crisscrossed the world at that time, and you looked at the various ancient civilizations, they called the gods a different name, perhaps, but it was the same demonic principality and power behind that god that the, that those people were worshiping. Uh, and I like this quote. He said, "The forests were no longer the forests were no longer enchanted. The shrines were no longer sacred. The na- nature was no longer magical." 
He says, the scientists now wore the mantle of the prophet and the garments of the priest had been replaced by lab coats. The world had become disenchanted. Uh, this is talking about the, the gradual shift of Western Civ, uh, the gospel coming and bringing change and transformation. Uh, but when we re- began rejecting the gospel again and we started worshiping the lab coats and, uh, and, and we, we somehow disenchanted, in other words, we don't believe in those ancient uh, right demons, we don't believe in the supernatural, we just believe in science, uh, that somehow um, we're seeing a return of these gods, but they look different. They don't look like the, uh, the old gods. Mm. Um, and so how would you describe our new gods that we're seeing today in America? Because obviously, it, well, there are some pagans. There, there are some people that go out and worship Mother Nature, you know, and they're open about it. Sure. But most of us are too sophisticated, we think, to even worship any gods at all. Right. They cloak themselves in, in, in some type of uh, kind of new age consciousness, cloak themselves in basically like a lot of, uh, really a lot of Marxism. Um, it cloaks self in in key phrases and words that's very very uh soothing to the modern audiences right um but as we keep you know you're going to discover as you, as you keep digging as you keep pressing as they begin to have more influence and more power and more control uh i think those pagan influences will be more and more evident and as you can see in the behaviors they encourage, the behaviors they permit, the behaviors they push upon people, it, 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 it's very similar to the behaviors thousands of years ago. Right. You know? Right. And so Khan says this, we quoted it last week, it's, it bears repeating. He said, uh, the gods now dwell among us. They inhabit our institutions. They walk the halls of our government. They cast votes in our legislatures. They guide our corporations. Uh, They gaze out from skyscrapers. They perform on stages. They teach in our universities. They saturate the media. They direct our news cycles, inspire our entertainments, and give voices to our songs. And he goes on and on and on. In other words, we are still singing ideologies and worldviews that are basically religious in nature that, that, as Khan's pointing out, are actually supported um, by either the Lord himself, thus saith the Lord, or by demonic counterfeits, but they're everywhere. They're just dressed up differently, and they're, and they're more acceptable, I guess, to the, uh, to the Western world. And so and we begin the second podcast talking about the spirits, and, and Jonathan Kahn makes the statement that gods were everywhere. They haunted the ancient world. And so um, it's interesting. Atheism is really an anomaly. Uh, it always has been. Um, even the devil believes in God. Satan believes in God. So it takes a special kind of stupidity to to be an atheist because basically the issue around the globe even today is not atheism. It's it's how many gods you have. You know, the ancient world had a whole pantheon of God. Uh, they were, they were uh, uh, polytheists, you know. Um, Christianity was called atheism back in Greco-Roman times because we purported the belief in only one true God, and we, mm-hmm. so we were considered atheists because we didn't believe in all the other gods. Um, so th- the whole point is um, uh, the gods at one time were everywhere inhabiting planet Earth. Every ancient uh, civilization worshipped some kind of God. He says, for most of recorded history, the gods were in every land enthroned on the pinnacle of every major culture and civilization. Wherever there are people, there are gods. And I think that says something very powerful about Christian worldview. It highlights the fact that there is a God-shaped vacuum, as Pascal pointed out, a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart, and that people 
are looking to worship and worship God, define God, uh, and to fill that vacuum. Mm-hmm. And so we, it's no surprise to find that idolatry was everywhere on the planet. And of course, and then God was trying to establish true worship among His people, Israel, but across all the nations of the world and the nations that we encounter when we read through our Old Testament. These are pagan nations. Their problem was not that they didn't believe in God. Their problem was that they believed in a whole host of of false gods. Um, And that was the way things were. He says, in our modern world, gods are simply a product of man's imagination, his projections, as as Freud would say, his fears, his fantasies. Um, These were just things that human beings made up to deal with our insecurities, but that's not the case. Uh, historically, we see that, again, this is a normal phenomenon, and we have to ask the question, you know, why? Where did this come from? And so Khan, in uh, in this chapter, gives us some really interesting uh, scriptural foundations. Why don't you read the first one here from Deuteronomy 32? This this is an explanation of, I guess, where this false idolatry is coming from. Yeah. They offer sacrifice to demons, which are not gods, uh, to gods, little g, they have not known before. To new gods, little g, only recently arrived. To gods, their ancestors had never feared. All right. So here we see the introduction of uh, idolatry. Uh, God's talking to his people, and he makes a comment. They offer sacrifices to demons. Now, there, it, no, nobody was offering sacrifices, at least overtly, to demons. They were offering sacrifices to gods. Um, but God cuts right through all of this and says, those are not real gods that you're worshiping. They're actually demons. You're actually offering sacrifices to demonic spirits that are not God. And he mentions these are gods that, that we've not known before. In other words, this was not part of uh, the worship of God's people. Uh, and God is saying, you're importing other gods, as you point out, with a little g, not the capital G, false yeah. gods. That God says we've never known before. These new gods have only recently arrived, and He says that these are gods that the ancestors never, never feared. Um, that word that is used here for um, demons is the word shadim. Uh, these are gods or idols that Israel worshipped when they turned away from other gods. So God uses this word in the Hebrew shadim to refer to false gods, demon gods that. Israel embraced when they were not worshiping the one true God, and all all everyone else embraced. That's, exactly, that's the that's the culture. That's the that's the uh, religious realm of basically everyone else. So when you think about this, people were much more aware of the fact that the, of the supernatural, and that the approach of the ancient person was, you know, what I. Don't want to be on the bad side of this God. I want to be on the good side of this God. If I'm on the good side of this God, then maybe this God will bless bless us with fertility or bless us with peace or whatever. If I'm on the bad side of this God, then it's going to not go well for me. And so this whole fear um, and uh, placating, right? So this whole notion of sacrifice, where does it come from? It comes from the desire to placate territorial demonic spirits that are real and that would torment and ravage the people. Uh, they had genuine power. And so sacrifice uh, and other things that were done was was an ancient civilization's way of placating the gods or bringing peace to the gods and not try to bring blessing upon themselves. Um, and so Israel was no different when God said, stay away from the from the, the the gods of your of the nations around you, the practices. He was basically saying, don't go there. You know, yeah. you have me. 
uh, you don't have to live that way, and you don't have to uh, to worship in, in that kind of perverted, twisted, dark way. And so the word shadim comes from a root word in the Hebrew that means to act violently, to lay waste, to devastate, or that which brings destruction. And so this is referring to a malevolent spirit that brings devastation and destruction. And, of course, as he points out, the shadim are actually demonic spirits. And... Um, and so the whole idea, again, is we have to appease these destructive, malevolent beings because they have real power to bring destruction in, into our lives, whether that's sickness, disease, destruction, uh, tragedies, whatever it is, oppression, fear, um, th- these spirits are real, and we have to placate them. Yeah. Uh, and so when you take the Hebrew and, and the one to translate it into the Greek, uh, the, the Greeks came up with a word, or the Greek translators, uh, with a word that is basically the word where we get our word demon, um, and we find it again in, um, actually, I think I skipped over the passage. Well, it's a proverb. Uh, I mean, Psalms. Yeah, there's only one other one other place in the Old Testament that uses this word shadim that we just read about in Deuteronomy 32, and that's um, Psalm 106. Go ahead and read that one for you. They worshiped their idols, which led to their downfall. They even sacrificed the sons and their daughters to the demons, or shadim. So that word demon is the same word that's used in the Deuteronomy passage. It's referring to Psalms. the whole host of demonic counterfeit uh, uh, authorities that we worship. But here we, we see it, uh, the, the, the idea of placating or appeasing the demon gods. It says they even sacrifice their sons and daughters to the demons. When you go through the Old Testament and you read about Moloch and, and various gods like this, uh, and literally God, God is so disgusted with Israel, he's like, you are acting in an even worse manner than the nations around you who would take an infant child, and uh, basically offer that child, sacrifice that child uh, to demon gods in a whole host of of wicked and evil ways. But the idea was we're giving you literally a flesh and blood human sacrifice um, to, to, again, to fall into good favor with you. Yeah. And the crazy thing is... um, These kinds of things work. This is not just some blind superstition. the demonic spirits that they're worshiping had had a certain realm of power to bring blessing or to bring cursing, to bring right. peace or to bring devastation. Uh, these are not just false, silly beliefs. There's actual demonic power here at work that is legitimate power. So you're saying the whole idea of selling your soul to the devil, you know, is not a just a, a movie thing. There's, there, there's a reality basis. There's well, there's a, basis a whole people. Hollywood community that would attest to the fact that, that there's a, a certain uh, pathway to get to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, there is something to, even as, again, devil, the devil takes true principles and perverts them. So what would we say? We need to be fully surrendered to the Lord and fully, yeah. you know, full of the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can literally lead us and guide us and fill us. And of course, that's all the the, the beautiful picture the, of truth from Scripture, the way it's supposed to be. But it works on the other side. There are people who submit themselves to Satan, who open themselves up to demonic spirits, who who are so desirous of money, power, success, whatever that they they think Satan's the pathway to it. And of course, he promises all of those things. And I've heard it said, you know, we had a we had a very wise man from. Uh, who's a missionary in Africa, who, who would talk about the power of witch doctors. That was the other thing we pointed out. In all these cultures, there were religious figures. Maybe they weren't called witch doctors, but they, they were shaman or, or some type of religious priest figure yeah. 
that was the uh, connection between the supernatural and the natural or, or the representation or the wisdom or whatever it was that you needed, the power, you would go to that person and it, he was the mediator mm-hmm. of that power. And he was saying, Africa, successful businessmen in you know, three-piece suits would be crawling on the ground to approach the witch doctor because the reason they crawled was because they were not allowed to be at the same level and the reason that they they crawled uh, looking at the ground is because they were not allowed to make eye contact with this witch doctor, but they would bring a sacrifice of some sort. Sometimes it involved killing somebody else, uh, offer a human sacrifice, whatever. Um, and that witch doctor had the power, demonic power, to bring blessing on them. And so many of them would become millionaires. But what was interesting is what he pointed out was that there was no generational blessing like there is in the Bible. In other words, that whatever you did to sell your soul to get whatever you were pursuing stopped with you. And then what happened in the next generations was actually chaos. It, it, was, it was like all hell breaking loose on your family line. So this, this is actual real-life stuff uh, in some of the, the African nations that he encountered. Um, so again, it's a perversion of, of the true and living, but, but here you have an example, again, of Israel engaging in de- basically demonic worship um, and God having to deal with them over and over and over again. So now we get to the New Testament, which we were just talking about. Uh, read that First Corinthians passage, uh, yeah. because it's very insightful. I'm saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God, and I don't want you to participate with demons. Okay, so talk about that, because here, very clear. the, the mm-hmm. issue here in the New Testament was uh, eating food that was sacrificed to idols. Mm-hmm. And so, let's just, uh, in the Bible, too, we'll get to this maybe next week or, or in the weeks that come, but, um, you know, when Paul and his team uh, or, the, or any of the apostles would move into a major urban center, um, they encountered various gods. You know, in Ephesus, it was Artemis, and, it, and there was literally a power encounter that took place. Um, but let's so let's just say someone was offering uh, a, sacri- a sacrifice to the god Artemis. All right, offering and then the, the dedicating their food or whatever. And then Paul's saying, uh, basically, when you're doing that, you're you're not really offering it to Artemis. You're really offering it to demons. Explain the difference, because all these, all these nations, like you talked about studying Greek mythology, you know, were, were the Greek mythological figures really real? Are those real people? Or what's really going on here? Because every nation had their gods. Yeah, and basically what this book is saying, these you know, mythical gods, those little G gods, are not real, but they're real. There, they might not be the. There's not actual Zeus, but there is a spiritual entity behind Zeus or Artemis right. or whatever. So in the Bible, yeah. for instance, there's Baal, there's Ashtaroth. Those are the gods that yeah. the, the the Israelites encountered from the Philistines and some of the surrounding nations. So Baal is not um, a real person or whatever, but the spirit behind Baal is very much real, mm-hmm. or the spirit behind Zeus or Apollos or some of these. Uh, 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 who was the god? Now we're going to get into that. Uh, uh, the sexual god of the Greeks. Oh, uh, oh uh, Dion- Arti- Dionysus. Dionysus, Artemis, these various... Okay, so so these figures we read about weren't real personages, but they were real principalities. Uh, there's a demonic 
spirit behind ener- energizing it and uh, uh, making these spirits alive and real, all right? Uh, and so that's what Paul's saying is when you're offering sacrifices, you're really offering sacrifices to demons. Um, and so uh, when we talk about that, when we name these gods, we're not, again, suggesting that that god has a personage, but we are suggesting that there are real demon spirits that are behind these gods in every nation of the world. And so from this point forward, when we talk about that, that's really what we're meaning. Uh, we're referring to the principalities that lie behind them. Yeah. And um, I, I think that the point is, biblically speaking, those uh, idols or those you know, false gods are not just a figment of people's imagination. Yeah, it's not, yeah. Biblically it's not speaking, just fairy tales. It's stuff. not just fairy tales. It's not just like, oh, they're delusional. There is actually something, it's not exactly what they're worshiping because they never present themselves as they really are, but there is a legitimate entity, uh, demonic force behind it. And that's biblically speaking. It's not just us making it up, right? Yeah, you go, for instance, to India, even to this day, and you go to a lot of the Hindu temples, you'll see some, you know, some strange things. And the Hindus have, talk about a, a, a pantheon of gods. They have millions of gods. Um, some of the most known ones are like Shiva, you know, a god of war and all this kind of stuff. But when you go into those temples, you might look at some of the carvings or whatever and go, oh, this, these were ancient, you know, prehistoric kind of people. They're just worshiping these, sil- these silly creatures that don't really exist. It's like, yeah, maybe that carving is not really what this creature looks like or this being looks like, but behind those carvings and behind these altars where, where sacrifices have been, have been performed, there are real demonic principalities and powers that, that we should not play with or we should not pretend like they're not legitimate and legitimate foes. I mean, because this is spiritual warfare. We are naive to think that there's no power there or that, or that this is just superstition or whatever. That's what we're trying to say. These are, these are real things. And so, for instance, behind Moloch, uh, with all the blood that's been sacrificed, uh, there, there is a real princip- demonic principality there that is ruling that must be dealt with. And so he says, okay, so if people are worshiping false gods... Uh, and those that are the most ardent worshipers or those that are most closely associated to the worship of these gods should show signs of possession. In other words, when you see somebody who has been possessed by a spirit, they manifest certain ways, Mm -hmm. Uh, some of those being seizures, shaking, trembling, uh, being thrown into a... um, uh, um, you know, like a convulsion, foaming at the mouth, uh, trembling, shaking. Uh, he, he lists in the book a variety of, of things that, that we would recognize as being signs of demonic uh, oppression or possession, uh, demonization. Um, and he says, so if, so if this is true, if there's a whole pantheon of demonic spirits that the nations uh, out of darkness worship, then we should see similar signs across the board in all different cultures. And that's exactly what we do see. Uh, And again, we're going to get into some of that, but in a lot of these ancient writings, or if somebody was actually, you know, like with the oracle at Delphi, Mm -hmm. um, if somebody went to to get wisdom from the oracle, that person that was the, the medium for the communication from the demonic realm... Uh, would be possessed and would writhe and moan and and uh, speak unintelligible things and foam at the mouth and almost like they were having seizures. Uh, and then this demon would begin to manifest and speak out of that person. Now, again, 
for most of us in the West, these are strange, exotic, wild, unbelievable kinds of things. Um, but this was commonplace across the world prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, the birth of our King. And so he's saying, basically, in this book, that we see similar manifestations of people uh, who are worshiping false gods, who are possessed by those gods, and then who are used as as mediums to speak on behalf of the gods, which, again, is a perversion, right? I mean, we're supposed to know Christ. We're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to speak, thus saith the Lord, and speak on behalf of the Holy Spirit. We're prophetic people. The Holy Spirit is looking to to take full possession of us, not in the way that a demon does, but at, but as we yield to him and submit to him and follow his, his kind and gentle leading, it's no surprise that the demonic world would completely mimic uh, what God's trying to, mm-hmm. the pattern God's trying to establish. And so this brings us up to a bigger issue that Khan is messing with. Because remember, we're trying to uh, we're trying to explain how does all of Western Civ and especially America right now how are we inundated, uh, in particular, with for instance LGBTQ ideology, transgender ideology, a lot of this um, uh, thinking that has swept the world. In fact, you know, we were just talking before the podcast today. Uh, uh, on the news, here's the headlines from CNN. Pope Francis authorizes blessings for same-sex couples. Now, th- this is huge on one hand because obviously the Pope is the the figurehead, the spiritual leader of the Roman Catholic Church, which has, again, millions of followers, right? And so here you have the spirit. How does the spiritual leader of a Christian uh, someone would say, wouldn't use that word, I guess, but, some, but you know, Roman Catholicism, all right, that's supposed to be representing Christendom at some level. How does that leader uh, say that we can bless a behavior or actions that the Bible specifically condemns and calls evil? In other words, how, how has such an, uh, a brainwashing, a, a deception come over to where the leader of a major, uh, you know, Christian Christian movement, I guess, uh, uh, would fall under this kind of deception and be and actually bless what God says He hates. This is what we're trying to to get at. How do how are we seeing corporate America swept under this? How are we seeing our public schools embracing this ideology? How is the medical community of all places, the scientific community, uh, embracing a a bold faced biological lie? that a man can become a woman, a woman can become a man, a man can have a period, a man can have have a baby, a man can be pregnant, a woman can have a penis. I mean, we, we went through all this kind of stuff. I mean, these are just simple biological falsehoods. And yet there's this deception over everything, over, over the media, over Hollywood, over entertainment industry. Um, how do we explain this? We understand, like, how deception can come into the individual. But how does it, I guess the question that Jonathan Kahn is asking and answering as well mm-hmm. is, is it possible that nations can come under the sway of a demonic deception? And you and I brought out a point at the start of this. I want you to go back there. Um, something different happens when, when uh, certain practices in our culture become ritualized. Mm-hmm. So talk about that. Like we, you know, we started off this podcast. Maybe we can end here, but we started off the podcast with we're celebrating a candlelight service, 
that's multi-generational. It is a, it's traditional and that we, we celebrate it every year at this time. And it says a lot about what we value and what we worship and what we honor. How, is that, how can that be used on the dark side? Give us some examples of that, how, how a culture opens the door, I guess, to, um, to collective deception. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, if you want to change the culture of any organization, so I work with different business organizations. I even look at specific, like families. Let's think about just your family. It's, yep. a, it's an organization. You know, you're, you, you know, you right. got the husband and the wife and the kids. And if you want to change the culture or organization, you, what you do is you instill your values through things that you do on a regular basis. So like in our family, before we eat, we pray. Right. We don't even think about it. I mean, we don't decide, should we pray today? We pray. What is that? What does that mean? How, what does that communicate to our family member? Is that we entrust our bless our our provision from God? Yeah. We we so that communicates something, right? You recognize it came from Him, and you're yep. pausing to thank Him. You're pausing to thank Him. Like uh, we we pray before we go to bed. We thank Him for the day. We thank Him for family. Like those little things you do on a regular basis communicate so much. You know, because you do it regularly and you can just like, so anyways, so think about in terms for a nation, you know, like when I grew up, what are some things we normally do as a nation? We say the Pledge of Allegiance in school, right? right. Before sporting events, we sing the National Anthem, right? Those are some things we do to say, hey, these are what we value. So if you want to change a nation on a large scale, if you have a different value you're pushing, now you're instituting new religion or new institution, new holidays, right? New traditions, new culture, new symbols, yeah. right? Well, I'm thinking, again, back to what we talked yeah. about, you know, like uh, in the um, book about the Nazis and the, the German church, Bonhoeffer. Um, the Nazis got rid of Christmas. They got rid of Easter. They they returned to paganism. They celebrated winter solstice. You know all this kind of thing. Though that's because there was a very clear ideology that they were pushing. They were getting rid of one. They were embracing another, yeah. another god, for lack of a better yeah. word. In doing these things, they literally opened the door to the paganism that was part of their roots. They went backwards yeah. to paganism. Now they would consider it just you know kind of nationalism or or. or uh, uh, Whatever, but but it but it was an open door, inviting the spirits behind all that back into the culture. So how are we doing that today? I mean, we've obviously we've we've gotten away from even being able to call Christmas break Christmas break in our public schools. Um, uh, we can get into the reasons behind that, but it, but again, it 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 represents a clear breaking from what that holiday celebration. Well, the word celebrate. Christmas, changing the word Christmas to holiday, right? Happy well, holidays. Well, eventually they're going to get rid of the holiday because the holiday still says holy day. There's right. still a, a, exactly. a sacred element to it, so that's got to get rid of. I saw some crazy thing happen in the, the uh, uh, Pennsylvania schools where an edict went out telling all bus drivers that if you have anything that, that is Christmas decorating in your bus, take it down because it could be offensive to somebody from another religion. I mean, th- this is that that nasty secularism that just wants to remove any any vestiges of faith from our culture. Mm-hmm. These are small scale, though, but l- let's talk about big scale. You know, we're, we're now in America with 60 plus million uh, babies that have been sacrificed, we could say to Moloch. Uh, we don't call him Moloch, but it's, now we call the altar uh, freedom, re- reproductive choice, 
Um, we have all kinds of euphemisms, but there's still the same demon behind the practice. We're, we're, we're offering our children as sacrifices for our own freedom, prosperity. We, we just saw where a bunch of folks were saying, we're not even going to have kids. We're going to celebrate being able to have more money and do whatever we want and live our own little narcissistic lives without being bothered by children. Um, the, the, this is the spirit of the age. Again, the, the demons are dressed in different garb, more acceptable garb. But what happens when you basically say uh, abortion is a reproductive right is you are enshrining a demonic evil that is ancient. It goes all the way back to these uh, biblical cultures and prior to biblical cultures, um, and uh, you're opening the door wide open through bloodshed to that spirit of deception to sweep into your nation. And so, you know, you can only imagine if we've had offered 60 million-plus children sacrificed uh, on the altars of reproductive freedom, you can only imagine that with that, deception would come all kinds of things like I believe we're witnessing today to where we're mutilating our children, we're trying to change their genders. And as as Khan's going to explain, there's a reason why all of this is happening, and it's not avant-garde, it's not cutting edge, it's not new at all. It's actually going way, way back to deep, deep darkness, demonic darkness that existed prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so can a nation fall under uh, demonic influence, demonic deception? Um, that's, the, that's the point that he's raising, and I think as we get, to get together again on this podcast in the weeks to come, uh, we'll see that he makes a very, very strong case for what is happening in America and in the West as a whole, why these deceptions and ideologies are literally enslaving hundreds of millions of people, uh, and why it's happened so quickly. Uh, and it really sets the stage uh, here in closing. Uh, just to give you all a little uh, understanding of where we're headed, we're going to take next Wednesday or next Thursday rather off for the, for our podcast um, and let you all celebrate the uh, the holidays between Christmas and New Year's as as we celebrate as well. But we're going to come back strong in the new year with really highlighting why Jesus Christ and His coming was uh, an act of war, a massive upsetting act of war against the demonic spirits that were everywhere on planet Earth, keeping, again, the planet um, in a place of deep, deep darkness and despair and hopelessness, and how Christ really is the light of the world and uh, and the one that was the game changer and the one that broke the spell off the planet. Uh, And then highlight how we've opened up the... When we reject Christ, how we open the door to the same darkness only that darkness comes with its friends, uh, as we're going to talk about um, next time we're together. So um, hope this has been eye-opening for you. Uh, we do wish you a very, very Merry Christmas as we're uh, ramping up to the celebration of Jesus' birth this coming Sunday. And of course, don't forget, uh, Friday night, come out and join us for our candlelight service, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock. Yep. It's going to be a great time. Any final yeah. comments? Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. We'll see you next, not next Thursday, two Thursdays. Have a great Christmas holiday.